People think there's one reality, but there's loads of them all snaking off like roots, and what we do on one path affects what happens on other paths. There's messages in every game, like Pac-Man. Do you know what Pac stands for? P-A-C. Program and control. He's program and control man. The whole thing's a metaphor. He thinks he's got free will, but really, he's trapped in a maze. All he can do is consume. He's pursued by demons that are probably just in his own head. And even if he does manage to escape by slipping out one side of the maze, what happens? He comes right back in the other side. People think it's a happy game. It's not a happy game. It's real, and we live in it. It's all code. If you listen closely, you can hear the numbers. There's a cosmic flowchart that dictates where you can and where you can't go. I've given you the knowledge. I've set you free. That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome to yet another fun-filled episode of The Fear of God. We are a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and fear, Christianity and the horror genre. And if you're new to the show, welcome. If you are a longtime listener and have not yet done so, then we would like you to go to iTunes and leave us a rating or review, preferably a five-star rating, um, hopefully a glowing review. I am one of your co-hosts, Reed Lackey. Typically with me is one Mr. Nathan Rouse, but he got delayed, couldn't make the recording session today because he was too busy uh, searching for his stuffed rabbit. So I'm not quite sure if he will ever join us. He was just, when I talked to him, I said, come on, it's time, we've got to record. And he was he was just like, no, no. And he was just like digging under his bed, trying to find this little pet rabbit and so, or like stuffed rabbit. And so I just I don't know what in the world is uh, is up with that. So but uh, but yes, do please go and leave us an iTunes review. Oh, there you are, Nathan. Did you did you find your bunny? Can you can you tell me about the rabbit, Reed? Just tell me, <laughs> tell me about the rabbit. OK, will you tell me about the <laughs> rabbit? OK, he's so soft okay. and fluffy. <laughs> tell me, tell me about the rabbits. It's funny. I love how in Winnie the Pooh, like wow. all of the other all of the other characters have like names, but rabbits just rabbit. Like they gave up at that point. Like Milne, uh, you know, just just when he was writing all these other characters, it's like, you, oh no. Are you sure it's Milne? A. a. Milne or maybe Mil? I'm pretty sure it's Milne. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a, well, okay. I, I don't mean to correct you condescendingly. Mm-hmm. I've only ever heard it as Milne, but I I, hey. I don't know. I've never heard the name spoken aloud, so okay. you are probably correct. You know, so, uh, rabbit, so rabbit. In that respect, rabbit's probably thankful to just have a pretty straightforward <laughs> name, you know. But what's funny is I love how you went from Bandersnatch. I went to Of Mice and Men. You went to Winnie the Pooh. I'm like, holy cow, we are just <laughs> we're just all over the place. all over the place. Choose your own adventure. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> oh man. Well, we have got a ton of material to get to. So, uh, so Nathan, I just I don't want to mince. 
any more words. It is time. Or do you want? Do you not want to mincey any more words? Mincey any more words? You're such a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> no, my friend, it is time yet again for me to ask you that age-old question. What you watching? Uh, uh. What you reading? Come on now. What are you listening to? Bing! Well, thank you for asking, Reed. I do enjoy being asked what I am <laughs> dig- digging into in the world. And um, actually, I- I've been... Uh, you know, I talked last week about watching Oscar movies and catching up on the top 10 2018 horror flicks. Um, in addition to that, let, let it not be said that Nathan is not a well-rounded media consumer. Um, I <laughs> did two weeks ago um, watch the second Lego movie. Have you seen that yet? Oh, no. Uh, my son has. I, there was something that I was uh, working on at the time and couldn't join him, so my wife took him to see that. He he enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I I love the first Lego movie. Um, I do personally feel like the second one is a slight step sideways. I don't know that I'd say it's a mm. step back. It's more of a step sideways. I, to me personally, um, I think part of the brilliance, part of the poignancy of that first Lego film is just when you have no clue how it, how it's going to end. You know, like when you don't okay, sure. know mm-hmm. that that meta sort of conversation is happening. Um, mm. that that's where the real power and punch, it's clever. It's no doubt it's clever sure, film, comedically, sure. but it, it kind of that final beat, um, between the sun and Will Ferrell kind of raise, raise the entire piece. Well, yeah, I agree. The second film, you know that they know, you know that, oh. and they intercut much of the film with little bookmarks in the real world. And, and oh, interesting. there's a way, okay. there's a way in which it felt a little like, okay, well now I know I see the strings and I know mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. playing on thematic ideas that I wouldn't have known in the first film, but yes. now that you're yeah. showing me all this. So I don't know. It, it, it didn't feel as innovative okay. for lack sure. of a better way to put it. It's, it's still fun. It's still humorous, but not quite as innovative as, as that first one definitely felt. So, um, I, I would give it a definitely recommendation if you got kids. If you like the first one, it's sure. definitely worth sure. watching. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. to me, uh, actually calling it a step sideways feels kind of appropriate. Okay, yeah, no, that's that's understandable. What and about I, yourself? It, uh, something similar to to what I've heard about Lego Movie Part Two as well. So I'm gonna uh, as as reluctant as I am to point anybody towards another podcast. I'm just kidding. I don't mind doing that. Um, no, there is a uh, there's a podcast that's relatively recent at the moment that I am very fascinated by. I, it will my recommendation, which it is a recommendation, will have a small asterisk to it. But there is a podcast called American Hysteria. Have you heard of this before? Um, the the podcast platform or the the sort of the hosting banner, if you will, is Skylark Media. But uh, American Hysteria is a show that examines and explores the ways in which certain panics in the the United States have taken hold of our cultural zeitgeist and created. It's that's it's such not a, that's quite, such a great word. Zeitgeist. It is zeitgeist is is wonderful. Um, it's not quite exploring specifically just uh, I, I, I don't know it's not just urban legends but for instance the very first podcast is about stranger danger and so they really unpack where did this idea that strangers are inherently dangerous come from second uh, the second sort of subject they dive into is poisoned Halloween candy 
And then there's a there's a whole slew of conversations about what they call the satanic panic. You know, like the uh, from the 80s. You know, this the, there's a rise of as it was viewed back then, sort of a rise of satanists, and and they talk about where some of those um, concepts were rooted in. And it is it is very very fascinating. It's meticulously well researched. My one asterisk, my one major asterisk is it is not an objective podcast. The, the host, who I think is, is really smart and clearly does an incredible amount of research, it is impossible not to walk away going, okay, there is a bias towards, um, and some might even say like sort of a, a left-leaning bias in the framing of these episodes. So that, that is a small asterisk that um, can unlike— you, Can you contextualize that a little bit? Sure. Uh, they they make several pointed jabs in just the as as any sort of uh, like I'm accustomed to listening to podcasts of like the NPR variety where they will take a subject and they will chart the history of this subject and they will occasionally break in with a bit of commentary left or right. But it, you always kind of get the sense with NPR that they're at least trying to be as objective as possible. Sure. This is what the the facts are telling us. This host, sharp and smart as she is, will occasionally take outright jabs at gotcha. quote-unquote Christians, quote-unquote the right, etc. Et and based on the premises of her episodes, those jabs are deserved, but they still just sort of rest a bit uncomfortably because yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, well, you're kind of tilting it. Now, that's just my asterisk. Don't miss my recommendation. I think the podcast is exceptionally fascinating. Uh, and uh, they've covered a number of, uh, I think they've covered five or six subjects where, uh, you know, as of this recording. And, uh, and yeah, I find it endlessly fascinating to sort of explore this ways, these ways in which hysteria can take hold and can tilt things in the cultural world uh, in certain ways. Well, I, I think we all receive your recommendation and recognize that you were just covering your asterisk, and so we appreciate that. <laughs> I, had to, I had to work hard on the phrasing of that one to make it You make sure sense. did. You <laughs> sure did. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I watched the Lego movie, and uh, you, um, you know, Listen. Got hysterical. You did to um, well, to American hysterical. hysterical, and that yeah. Amer what's it called? American hysterica. No, it's called American <laughs> hysteria. But I said American hysterica, and then of course you paused and pointed it out. What you watching? <laughs> <laughs> what you reading? What are you listening to? Okay, so we got that taken care of. Uh, really interesting uh, stuff. You and I have been digesting there a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, let's do this, Reed. So we are in the thick of our little sub series. Man, I love it. We really, who knows? Maybe, maybe here we'll pitch something to the crowd here. Um, mm. the, the, the throngs of, of people listening to our podcast week <laughs> after week after week um so we're in the middle of hashtag tv guideposts our uh sub series covering specifically right now mike flanagan's the haunting of hill house uh on netflix uh from back in october if you did not watch in october uh please jump into this show it is high quality stuff um, oh, yeah. I, in fact you may recall this, Reed. I texted you, I think, maybe during Bent Neck Lady, maybe during Two Storms, which we were about to discuss. Like, this show is fear of God material, if ever it existed. It is, oh, absolutely. It is scary. Yeah. It is soulful. Um, it is special. It's, it's got some real, uh, um, 
I don't I don't know what. Um but it's but it's but it's <laughs> It's got all of it. It does. It does. Now, uh inter putting a a small asterisk here. <laughs> uh mm-hmm. I do want to make note of the fact that this episode of The Fear of God is our last of this broader Netflix and Chills series. That said, yes. we are y'all, you know we love us a series. So TV <laughs> TV Guidepost is bridging Netflix and Chills and y'all this is so exciting. So uh we are next week and the 3 weeks following it. So for the next 4 weeks culminating in the end of Hill House, we are going to be discussing the Netflix based films of Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. Are we still in Netflix and Chills? Are we in something totally new? I like to think a little bit of both. Um <laughs> in the spirit of titling things and in the spirit of attempting to title things that have uh, relevance to us as a show and relevance to us thematically, we are going to be opening a new series next week called Flannel Graph Flanagan. If you grew up, <laughs> it's one if, of my favorite. You like that? Ah, oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, if you grew up in the church as Reed and I did, you may have deep, deep memories of you know your Sunday school classes with the flannel graph board and the little Jesus feeding the multitudes and all this sort of stuff and Moses parting the sea or whatever you know these these scenes from biblical stories with flannel graph characters that you could move around um and just have a grand old time telling bible <laughs> stories with we are appropriating that language for our next series called flannel graph flanagan uh, which we've just been preempting with this Hill House conversation. Uh, Reed, I'm really looking forward to the films we're going to be discussing there. We can get to that oh, at, the, at the end of the episode so we can prep those Certainly. for what to watch. Uh, that said, let's jump in. Let's, let's flip the light twice and go to the Hill, uh. the, the Hill House, uh, with this week's Two Storms, which is arguably of this series of television in general, one of the master strokes of the form. I mean, it is. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. Um, a brief little trivial bit I want to throw here. Um, I don't have it all. So Two Storms, the content of Two Storms is finally we get to all of our characters in one room together. And boy, yes. boy do we ever. Um, I stumbled upon this recently, uh, but I would encourage anyone and everyone who has enjoyed this TV series to go follow Mike Flanagan on Twitter. On his, He has a pinned thread on his Twitter account. That is literally the behind the scenes story of the making of this episode. It is. Oh, wow. Fascinating. It is amazing. There's some great anecdotes in there, uh, some specific highlights, but uh, there's a lot there. So I encourage you just to go read it because it's amazing hearing some of these behind the scenes stories, but some, some specific highlights for your knowledge, Reed, if you didn't know this, the sets for Hill House. And the funeral home were both built and designed with episode six in mind. Wow. I wondered about that. Yeah. That's, that's, yes. that's crazy. They were, that's de- they were designed to connect to each other. Uh, the episode is comprised of five long takes, three of which are featured in the funeral home, two of which are in Hill House itself. They, mm. you, you, you don't pick up on this unless you're just really that savvy of a viewer, they built an elevator in the foyer of Hill House so that, okay. a, so that a cameraman could step onto it. The elevator could go down as I think Liv and 
Daddy Crane are coming down the stairs. So, that, yes. so he's coming down. Yes. He steps off. The cameraman steps off the elevator. It goes back up. He turns around, and it's not there anymore to catch what's behind him. Oh, I mean, the, my God. Le- I think he said – I think Flanagan said there's 200 crew – and they, it was a big, big deal for Netflix to greenlight. Netflix, I think Paramount and Amblin are all producing partners with this, um, mm. to greenlight this. They had set folk, production folk working for, I think, a month rehearsing mm. the blocking so oh, that, wow. so that they knew when lighting people had to be here, when camera guy had to be there, when you had to be out of the way. Something I didn't even pick up on. I'm sorry, I'm just running wild with this conversation. No, but you're, you're, you're fine. Something I didn't even pick up on in the watching of it. There are moments when Liv is walking down the hall and the statues follow her. Oh, okay. The heads wow. of the statues. So you've got production crew running off camera, replacing these statues and then hiding behind them. Oh my gosh. You know, you've got so much just sleight of hand happening to pull off this thing to the point Dang. that the dolly they were using in the funeral home, and you'll know this, this moment, they're following, I think, Stephen as he's walking up the aisle. So, okay. so the dolly they use, whoever mans the dolly, I, I don't know the, the technical uh, position here, but had informed Flanagan the day of that the dolly they had was falling apart. Like lit- oh, like no. like literally they might get one or two takes because the carpeting they used, they didn't realize it was going to impact the wheels of the dolly and it was bra- oh. it was breaking. So he chose not to tell the actors because he didn't want them worrying about it and was just sure. like basically yeah. crossing his fingers that we're going to get what they need and they ended up doing oh. it but but it's oh just, it, you, you should really go, uh, you read and, and definitely our listeners go check out on Twitter, uh, after you listen to this. Um, it's a, it's a lengthy thread, but it just documents much of the, the production process for this particular yeah. episode. And it's, it shows it is, it is a masterwork, like I said, of the form and, and just, man, what an episode. Oh, Narr- narratively and production wise. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, you know, I said last week that Bent Neck Lady might be, uh, I will say ne- maybe the the emotional culmination, the the absolute uh, you know greatest moment of the show, the pinnacle. But this, technically speaking, is unquestionably like th- this is an impressive short film. Like right. episode six, if if taken in isolation, is a pretty effective little short you know fifty five minute horror film. Even if you don't have some of the context that the rest of the show would prop up for you, this is still terribly effective. And goodness. So you mentioned these five long takes. Well, the first the first shot is 25 minutes long. Right. Like 25 minutes of just moving around these characters. And it's just a marvel of inventive filmmaking. I love tons of the little relational touches that they develop in this, especially because these actors, as we've already sort of alluded to, the actors needed to convey in these continuous shots years and years of relationship right, right. that had to be consistent with their other interactions sporadically with each other throughout the series. But here they are all in this one place. And then I was realizing... The first time around, it didn't ping me very much how absent the father is through this, the children's 
character centric episodes. Right. He really only p- appears in the wedding at Bent Neck Lady for Nell. We see him in the first episode. Right. And we hear him in the first episode. But then after that, he's complete. And I had forgotten it. He's completely absent from two, three, and four. Completely absent from it. And then appears at the wedding of Nell. But then, so it, it's really impactful when he finally shows up at the funeral home. And good Lord, the shot, which circles around him. And we've for the for listeners who haven't seen it, oh, watch this show. But he walks in, and we have seen the adults sitting in a certain configuration on the couch and chair that is in the lobby of this funeral home. When he walks in, the camera leaves them, pans around to find him. We see his reaction to them, and then it pans back around him where it reveals that all of the adults have been replaced with their child actor versions. That, and, I mentioned last week. Oh. I mentioned last week that Arthur, I think that's the husband's of Nell's name. Of uh, Nell's, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. When he dies, it's one of the most uh, piercing emotional moments of the series. This would rank right there too. I mean, this, this, the first time I saw that moment, it was a punch in the gut. It was like, oh man, it, it, that is such a powerful thing that in the. It's funny the when when I first started watching Hill House the first time. Everyone, the chatter was about episode six. Well, you know, I, yeah. I, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what the content was. Well, once you start watching episode six, from well, my experience of it was, and you're you're probably about three, four, five minutes in, and start clicking that this is one take, and that right. that's when it's like, okay, we're in store for something really special here. Absolutely, and Absolutely. it and it and it completely delivers. You know, you're oh, it really you, does. You you until just now hadn't really totally clicked with me too. Like you mentioned, the viewer hasn't had exposure to uh, is it Timothy Hutton? Yeah, Timothy hasn't Hutton had much exposure to that iteration of that character. Change even the context there. He has uh, like it's arguable, and and I think there's a case to be made. Not that you would refute this. There's a case to be made that the power of that moment is because he literally has not seen these people all in one room. Yes. In a decade. Right. Yes. Right. Absolutely. You know, because they went to live with Aunt Janet or whatever her name is. Yeah. Um, Man, that's such a powerful moment. Yes. Such a powerful moment. It's wonderful. And we're mentioning that shot when he's seeing all of them as children, but then you talk about a punch in the gut, walks up to Nell's casket, and it's. It's young in the casket. I mean, like, that's, I mean, and and those are just a few of the, that's all, Nathan, everything we have talked about (laughs) is in the first, like, 10, 15 minutes of this episode, but then it does not stop. It continues, and we talk about on this show how they are, how Flanagan is really adept at balancing fear with the more sort of sentiment and emotional components. We're talking about sort of the emotionality of it all. But towards the end, when he's running around, when younger version of Hugh, which is Elliot, you know, right, right, when right. younger version of Hugh is running around, Elliot's not the character's name, everybody. It's right, Henry Thomas, right. which is why I'm saying that because he was Elliot from ET. But um, <laughs> he's running, <laughs> he's running around chasing her, and you know, constantly like being right. confused about it. Uh, windows are windows are exploding, and then he looks back a second later, and they're replaced. Holy cow! It's so crazy. I mean, it's just. It it is really phenomenal how much fear uh, Flanagan is able to generate, and how much how much of an emotional wallop this episode manages to achieve. I have a whole f- slew of things yeah. written down. Um, 
uh, a couple of reaction shots, character sort of payoffs. Steve's reaction seeing Nell in the coffin. And first time it didn't ping me, but this time around I was watching and I was like, oh, dang, because that is when it comes crystal clear to him that he saw a ghost. And that's why he freaks uh-huh. out so much. Mm-hmm. And that's why he says, positive ID, detective, that's that's her. You know, it's because... This whole time, he was probably, uh, you know, sort of disconnecting himself with, like, I didn't, it was a trick of the light. But that's when it really finally hits him. Oh, yeah, I saw her. Well, and, and that's oh. that's a great narrative beat. I would even say the emotionality of it is so strong there because why I love that moment, I hadn't clicked with me what you just said, but one of the reasons I, that my takeaway was I love the, the siblings' attempts to comfort Luke and Steven, the stoic, staid older brother, is like, it's all good, it's all good, on your time, whatever, or whatever he's saying, to try to comfort him and reassure him. And when he gets to the casket, he's the one who falls apart. He just, falls apart. Was, Luke's Luke's a rock. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like this, this whole episode, Luke is probably, and no, he is. He's not probably. Luke is the steadiest of those children in this moment. Right. And I think that's significant because they all have a blow-up, a breakdown. Theo's right. drunk. Right. Um, Shirley loses her crap on Stephen, and then, you know, that, that culminates in her finding out that not only did Theo take Stephen's book money, but her husband took I, it I, behind I, her back. I love that moment. Like, I mean, oh, it's, 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 heart, it's heartbreaking for that char- for her, the character, but that is such a vulnerable moment for Shirley, who hates being vulnerable. And, and, yeah. and I don't know. It's a really, it's a really powerful moment when that happens. Um, oh, it's incredible. I want to, I want to, I want to back up a little bit. Um, and, and this can, we can throw in the theme bucket for four weeks from now. But, you know, at the top of the series, when Steven is talking to that, that homeowner whose husband she thinks she's seen. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. he says, a ghost is a wish. Yes. At the top of this episode, Shirley says most of what people say at a funeral is a wish. And I just, yep. I just really loved that, that, that. That, yeah. that sort of scripting continuity there. Um, the re- revelation of the money is so devastating. It's funny. I, I don't feel like I'm like Shirley in personality at all, but there's a world in which that moment was, was so heavy for me because, and, and I could point to multiple things over the course of my adult life where, I've often felt like I I learn a thing that a person has kept from me that feels revelatory and significant, but they kept it from me because they were worried about how I would feel about it. And it mm. and so you, when that moment happens for her, I'm like, oh God, sister, I know I know what that feels like. You know, mm. I mean, just yeah, you know, yeah, pe- yeah, yeah. people making choices on your behalf, thinking they're protecting you when right. ultimately maybe not so. Um, yeah, agreed. Um. As I love to do, I, I did write down a note of, of further articulating my connection to the show Lost here that the the characters, a similarity between Lost and this are this group of characters having this one inflection point upon which all of the rest of their lives are filtered. And, you know, for the Lost characters, it's their time on the island. For these characters, it's their time in this house. You know, like mm, mm, all, mm. all of life post this house is filtered through their experience in that house. And that's yeah. just really sad and fascinating. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, so, I mean, honestly, here's what's crazy about it. I, f- I feel like this episode as a whole 
I can't say too much more about it in this conversation because so much of it so directly ties to arcs of the characters right, right, right. that will culminate as a whole. I don't want to shortchange this episode uh, or, you know, like in discussing two storms, but I, I will say that for myself, I think a lot of my thoughts on moments that were revealed in two storms and what they mean for these people will come up again in our ultimate, like sure, longer sure. Hill house conversation, because it is of any of the other episodes you've been following these children on the way. And in a way this could be seen as a quasi Hugh episode, but it's, it's really not a, a focus on any one character. It's all of them culminating in payoffs of things that we've seen earlier and uh, it's devastating and it's powerful and it's impressive and it's scary and it's emotional and it's all these wonderful things Um, and if you for some reason are still insisting no I don't have time to go and watch this whole uh, show uh, well we disagree but take an hour and watch two storms. I mean, it's it is absolutely it's absolutely phenomenal. And well, uh, there are yeah. there are two pretty uh, before we leave the Hill House. There are two pretty uh, I think potent scares. One is oh by uh, all means the old lady in the bed after live at the fireplace. Oh, oh my gosh! <laughs> How she's just like there. How she's just there. She's just chilling. Like, she's just chilling. No, no big, you know, musical note to cue you that you should be scared. Nope. She's just there. Yep. And it, oh, well, and that's, that's when awful. she goes out in the hall and the little boy in the wheelchair too. Um, but yeah, the, the old lady yeah. is the worst. Um, and then I think for me, just the goodness gracious, the emotional kind of horror of Steve yelling the wrong parent died that coincides oh, coincides yes, with Nell's casket yes. falling over. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. That's so awful. And uh, you know, it's not a scare, but just to mention the, the emotional beat of Luke's final glance at the coffin. Again, I mentioned earlier, Luke, coincidentally, as much of a wreck as he's made of his life, he is the steadiest character in this entire exchange. And his final glance back to the coffin, and then he remembers him telling child Nell, like, you know, don't do not do that again. Don't let them get you. I thought the house got you. And then it's just... And then you hear Nell's voice saying, I was here the whole time. And right. you see her bent neck lady. Ver- Golly. Like, goodness yeah. gracious. It is, it is emotionally devastating. Powerful. Yeah. Powerful and very effective, but emotionally devastating. It's it's wonderful. I, I love, 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 love this show. And I love, love, love this episode. Well, there you have it. That's that's Hill House number six. So, uh, so yeah, moving right on from that uh uh, we are talking today about a film. I'm so curious how this is going to play out, Nathan, because I really don't know. So uh, you and I did not pre-brief uh, any particular specifics about our experience, but we are talking about a very experimental film for Netflix called Bandersnatch. It's part of the Black Mirror banner. It was written by the prominent uh, Black Mirror writer, uh, although his name escapes me. I'm going to look it up so that I can reference it a little bit later. But this is a film whose gimmick is that it is a choose-your-own-adventure film. Now, Netflix had experimented a little bit with this in some of its children's programming. I think they did like a... What? Puss in Boots, like, choose-your-own-adventure version of this thing. But it it was only like, you know, a 30-minute thing that kids could maybe affect small things. But this was a full feature-length film that uh, you could make different choices. Charlie Brooker is the yeah. writer of, of most of uh, Black Mirror stuff. So, But this was like a choose-your-own-adventure type thing. And so uh, the, the thing here is 
we have no idea, Nathan and I have no idea what film, what version of the film the other saw. So before, I mean, before we get too deep into this, I want to know, like, can you, can you describe in brief your experience of the film? Like, what was your story? What was, I know it's, there's going to be similarities. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What happened in your story? Um, well, one, I, you know, this is our, our ultimate Netflix and chills episode. And when you and I were bandying about possible ideas, um, I remember you just texting and being like, Hey, what about Bandersnatch? I was like, uh, yeah, that's perfect. Um, so, <laughs> so this really is a great way to take us out of Netflix and chills. So, as discussed on last year's TV Guide post Black Mirror episodes, I no, I've not watched every single Black Mirror, but I love the aesthetic. I love the sort of sensibilities of it. It is up my alley in terms of tone. I uh, I did not know what to expect from this, and my opening note just says, "This sh- cray." <laughs> um, yeah. So the. I guess we can get to just the general, um, uh, ultimately get to the general kind of conceit here and, and how that plays out. But, uh, my story was, you know, Colin, Colin is the, no, Colin is the, the game designer. He's um, the prominent designer. Yeah. I don't remember the name of the main kid, but Stefan. 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 That's right. right. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I can just kind of tell how mine ends. I'm scanning my, my choices I made. <laughs> I did try to get him to pull his earlobe. You know, so. Oh, did you? Yeah. I did, I did. Um, ultimately, I had him. It's This was a fascinating experiment in watching and in Netflix's <laughs> execution. I'm trying to figure out how to even convey what on earth I did. Um, well, just tell the story of what happened. Like, well, not so much about your choices. Just tell me right, what happened. Right, so he goes, yeah, so he goes, goodness gracious, I feel like my brain melted watching it. So, um <laughs> He goes to the video game developer studio and, you know, pitches this Bandersnatch idea. The first time through, and I will confess, I did go and re-engage to see the other stuff. Oh, did you do it a second time? Uh, Yeah, I think I probably saw, exhausted most of it. But this is why I'm having a hard time remembering what all I encountered. Oh, see, I only did it once. Because the first time, well, aren't you special? Um, you get it right the first time. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. But did you have the experience? Well, here's a question then. Did you have an experience where you made a choice and then it backed up automatically? Yes. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, automatically. To me, okay, well, maybe I'm misconstruing. So that happened for me pretty early. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember what my choice was. Oh, I said when the game designer president guy says do you want to stay yeah. here and work or do you want to go home and work and i said i'm gonna stay accepted, here yeah, yeah 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 you accepted uh, that yeah, was not yeah. the right, that was not the right choice um <laughs> so i did ex- uh, i did ultimately go home um you learn about him being observed i'm trying to remember the flow um you learn about him being observed uh when it asks you to kill dad or to back off i'm not a violent man reed i backed off mm, yeah yeah but it didn't matter <laughs> ultimately <laughs> Um, so my first iteration ended, so I, I did ultimately have to kill dad. He, he just gave me too much lip. Um, but, really? Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Oh my God. Um, so then. <laughs> this is why I just wanted you to tell me what happened. I know. Tell me it's what hard. Yeah. Yeah. So I killed my dad. Okay. And I buried his body. <laughs> really? And then, 
I can't tell if you're being a jackass or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Dude, um, here's the... Okay, man, so... Well, let me tell you how it ended. Okay, 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 right. So I buried the body, and it led to the dog finding it, and then I got arrested. Really? Okay. That was, that was it. And I was in jail, and I was riding the glyph, is what I called it, the glyph, you know, the the little branch symbol. Okay, okay. I was I was carving that in the walls of my cell. Okay. And then I reset and watched a bunch of other iterations. So okay, so then you went back and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. did a whole but bunch of stuff. But that is the first okay. run through was being imprisoned for a dog discovering my father's dead body. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so funny. Well, uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 so crazy how this it, I don't know. I don't know ultimately how many different beats there are of something, but like for instance, uh, like the, I did see a scene in which he killed his dad, but my story ended long before that. What? Yeah, yeah. I did not kill my. I did not go back at and kill all. My dad in my story. No, no, no. I didn't. No, I mean I saw a scene in which, it, but it was like this this weird sort of yeah. Dr- drug induced like right. imagery thing where he where I saw him you know like kill his dad but no dog no dog I never saw a dog I don't know what I don't know about a dog what? nothing about a dog wow yes, I never I never saw anything about a dog um so uh so yeah it's just fascinating how they've I guess they had to make this you know the, they had to redesign all of their like their memory storage banks and how films you know chart caches and stuff like that right, that, right, um, right. yeah in order to really like make this seamless what I want to do and I have not done it as of this recording what I want to do is knowing what I the choices that I've made because I don't know if you know but when you when you don't make a choice it just chooses for you but it highlights it very quickly before it makes the choice I want to just watch it and I want to see what it does if I make no choices well yeah I want to just see like cho- if you watch it on a desktop or a, a TV box it's you can't oh like an interact. Apple TV or yeah, something you can't interact yeah. with it so it must you know just sort of make some calls for you I would be yeah I would be very curious to see what it what it ultimately did see uh, you're an overachiever because I only did one and so well, yeah, I I didn't see I, all these well, other iterations like, I wanted to but I, I was like oh no that's gonna uh, well but uh, now see this is where I'm just not right. That's sort of what happened. Is I'm like I'm not smart. Um, I, I, I like to th- I like to think I am. I really like to think that. But then moments happen, and you're like, oh my god, I'm so I'm so dumb here. Because so my first when it ends um, after I murder my dad and end up in prison, yes, um, it just said exit to credits. Mm. Like it gave you the option. It's it's a little button up in the screen, and I was like, well, I, I don't. oh. Yeah, it, I saw that. The first time that happened, it confused me because I was like, well, is that it? Uh, you know, is, is that the or end? Or can of I it? make another? Right. Yeah. And so yeah. then I don't remember the interface, but then it would I, it would permit me to not exit the credits and just start recycling into the sure. story. Right. So okay. that that's, you know, yeah, it was. Well, I did. <laughs> that's what. Bandersnatch. Yeah. No, I know. Right. I know. I did see a similar thing in mine. But once I chose not to exit to credits, then it just sent me through certain clips. Like I didn't have any choices after that. Um, uh, maybe I'm pretty, I didn't, I can't remember. Yeah, because uh, it I think, me- the whole yeah. thing melted my brain. It, the experiment worked. Yeah, 
I just I just saw it. I just looked back at my little notes, and once it gave me the option to exit to credits, I only had one additional choice after that, and then it gave me no choice and sent me to credits. My overall time on it was like an hour. Like that's how that's how long my version of the story was. It was it was fifty five minutes from the first like exit to credits thing, and then when I chose not to exit to credits, it added like another eight to ten minutes. I think I was so um, like worried I'd fallen into the matrix that I did not <laughs> I did not pay attention to the runtime. It didn't even occur to me after the fact to do that, and then I was just like down that proverbial rabbit hole and just sure. I was like this is wigging me out i was actually trying to describe it the next day to my wife and she's like "Uh -uh, uh-uh uh-uh what are you talking about (laughs) because i was telling her how i don't know if you got this or not but there's a moment where it asked me uh to either have him it might have been a poor t on the computer because he was getting frustrated with the game or bang on the desk and uh, I got that one. Yeah. yeah well, I got I, that again, I don't like confrontation. I don't want this fella to break his, his tools of his trade. So I was like, well, bang on the desk. And he resists. He, he ends up. You know what's. What? So in that same choice, I made him pour tea on the computer. Oh, and really? He resists. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, so I was telling my wife about that because then he starts talking. He starts waking up to whatever's happening to him. And sure, she was yeah. like, no. No, that's not that's not cool at all. She's like, I'm just exhausted by this conversation. Right, I don't want, right, I don't right. want to continue like, on with this. Um, I mean, I, I don't. There's so many nuances we can we can pick apart from the actual. So many things to choose from. Right, right. It's, it's <laughs> like an adventure. <laughs> so well, okay. So uh, I, I don't know exactly what you did. You end yeah, up seeing I, an actual the Bandersnatch. Oh, like a suited. You mean like a, a like a dude? demon yeah, yeah, yeah. thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Look like a lion thing. Yeah, I think I saw him. I saw him after maybe Colin, it was the like, hallucination. Yeah, maybe that was it. Jump like jumped off. Um, did you catch the no, 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 Reed? You pushed him. Stop! I didn't push him. He jumped. These characters did not jump. have agency. You no. You. I chose for him to jump, but he still. I feel like a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. Because then he wasn't around for like a long time after that. Right. Um, no, I mean, what well, were you and that's, me? did it, I what? Did you catch the metalhead poster everywhere from the latest season of? You probably wouldn't have. You, you haven't seen all of Black Mirror. So no, there's, I there's, did catch the nosedive reference. I didn't have a nosedive reference. What? What was your nosedive <laughs> reference? I mean, you did we watch <laughs> the same thing or not? Come on, we didn't. Wait, I didn't have a did? nosedive. Who chose this? What's going on here? Who's it? Who's saying that? <laughs> um, when Stefan is meeting Colin at Tuckersoft, don't say that five times fast. You'll say it, you'll say it wrong at some point. <laughs> you'll you say to, something offensive. You have to, you have to bleep it. Um, Colin is showing him what he's developing. It's a new game okay. called Nosedive. Oh yes, you yeah, know what's funny I is I did have that, but I didn't. Know. Yeah, but then but um, that's, a, that's a Black Mirror reference. Yeah, no, I, I clearly reckon. Yeah, I remember it now, but I didn't put two and two together. Like, oh yeah, that that's clearly reference to the episode Nosedive. The uh, I did see the Metalhead poster. There was a there's an episode of Black Mirror called Metalhead, right. and uh, there's a poster that they. It's like one of their previous games that yeah. they did that they pointed to. But I mean, like in terms of this whole concept. I I personally loved that, 
and I don't know if every iteration of the story does. I would imagine that that most of them, if not all of them, do. That um, they just went ahead and hung a lantern on. Yeah, somebody's choosing for us. We're you know it's only like choices made in congruence to the whole, and somebody is sort of picking where we are and that we we are not ourselves. And it sparked this this fascinating thing in me about this whole conversation about like destiny and and free will and all of these uh, all of these kinds of things that are that are terribly meta to think about and this is not the first the absolute first uh, story to explore that idea of like oh are we just in a snow globe being uh, watched monitored or possibly even controlled by some other entity but it was just it was just a really I found it terribly inventive, and I thought it was an excellent and fascinating sort of question to raise. Um, and I don't know if you want to like dive hole into theme or what theme you had. If it was, you know, particularly uh, uh, well, I will say, different from this. I will say before we trod that path too um, too much. I think if I have any dislike with the piece, it's simply that I think ultimately the narrative is pretty thin. You know, like. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And to the point that when, this is what I'm trying to say, when it first ended for me, I got confused of of whether it was, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I, did, I didn't even know it was is over. It? Right, right, right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I do yeah. think the narrative is pretty thin, but clearly from a production standpoint, it's so dense. Um, it oh, pro- who, who knows what all was involved in, in making this happen, but... Um, sure. But also just idea wise which i suppose we could sub in the word thematically it's it's super dense super thick i mean i felt like i've never done drugs literally ever <laughs> like i for a play one time had to learn sort of how to smoke a cigarette and even then i was probably pretty awful at it um <laughs> the, the actual technique of it um but like watching this you i i'm like this must sort of sort of sort of be what like doing drugs is like I, like my brain oh my cannot handle what is what i am experiencing right, um it's right, like right. meta on top of meta on top of meta um mm-hmm. you know it's because you've got the main character studying the work of a previous character who was experimenting on choice and will uh, uh, and then the our main character is creating a, a computer game on that material about choice and and <laughs> free will and then we are engaging a piece of content that is about executing some other character's choice and free will which then right, begets right. the layer of our own choices and will as it relates mm-hmm. to what we're having these people do oh my god my brain's gonna fall apart <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh all the different levels yeah and i mean there is this i mean this in terms of a theme particularly for something that that our show would be interested in i mean it is there is a constant struggle in conversation with people about I guess I should say not all people, but there there are people who believe deeply in this idea of destiny and fate, sort of uh, on different spectrums, on 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 different levels, controlling things right down to like the shirt that they wore, well, and then can I throw something? Yeah, go ahead. Can I throw something? At you? Sure. I, well, I, yeah. I'm feeling bad if you were had 
more substantive stuff to finish there, so I want you to... Well, no, let me just let me yeah, just wrap yeah, this yeah. sentence, and then, yeah, throw something out. But, like, there are people all over the spectrum, those who say, like, you know, even that, that there's some preordination to, like, what clothes they choose to wear, what breakfast they chose, whether they went right or left uh, to take the route to work that morning or whatever. And then there's other people who believe that, like, it is all chaos and... Well, I shouldn't say chaos, that it is ultimately just action and reaction and you make your choice and that creates these little ripple effects and and that's the extent of it and so you know there's all kinds of places that you can go on that but there's a variety of different spectrums of belief about how the interplay between free will and purpose interact with one another well and and to to piggyback on that i mean you use the phrases destiny and fate i i I would those have a sort of I'm going to use this word here. Those have a sort of mystical component to it. Like I, I meant to go look up who this is. He's a very famous person in this field. I, I just did not allot myself the time to go look him up, but I listened to an on being episode about a year ago with this physicist, very famous physicist who it, part, part of my even listening to it was like, Hey, I just need to expose myself to these thoughts that are out there. I mean, very candid, sober, intelligent guy who, is basically like no 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 it's it's all predetermined it is literally all predetermined Whoa. yeah 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 i mean and has you know sort of a a very calculated academic reason for the the way he views this and and like i'm not I, the, even the way i'm saying it makes it sound like i'm dismissing it i'm not at all like it's you'll listen to it and you'll be like eh, that's a pretty good case uh you know <laughs> <laughs> wow. um so yeah i mean remove the kind of fate destiny component and just in terms of determinism he'd be like well yeah i mean it's all programmed um we are all wow not and not in this simulation component but just in the, the way the laws of the universe work um right it's all right. it's all determined um so you know it was meant that you and I would watch different versions of Bandersnatch and that it was, it's just a foregone conclusion. We'd end up talking about it. Um, now what? So in, in, in his, uh, as well as you can in describing his, uh, you know, parsing down his philosophies, is there any room for choice and agency in it? Or is choice and agency an illusion well, in his articulation? I mean, illusion is a strong word, but what you have to recognize is, he is articulating the viewpoint he's articulating is on such a cosmic scale that the the finer points of how this manifests moment to moment quote unquote choice by choice he would say we just aren't capable of comprehending um, oh, you know okay. but and, and but yeah i mean i do think uh, if i recall correctly krista tippett asks a question very similar to that of like well you know, how, what do we do with even this as a concept, this free will thing? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, you recognize it might not be true whatsoever, or, but our brains are just not equipped to kind of comprehend, <laughs> you know, these upper level, wow. these upper level thought, you know, upper level sort of academic components. And, and you still just live your life, you know, um, right. but yeah, it's a little, I mean, it's nihilistic the word I'm looking for here. Uh, you know, just that, no. that level of determination. Okay, thank you, uh, you jackass. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 but it wouldn't be nihilistic. It's just it's deterministic. Right, it's, right, right. It's just that that yeah, nihilistic would basically is kind of more in the chaotic spectrum of things. Yeah. But yeah, it, it it is. It's 
It's interesting to me because even as in the experience and the experiment of watching Bandersnatch, you make certain key choices, but then the characters make choices after that. The char- like the characters do things yeah. that you don't well, get to choose. Right. Which, so you which may be a deterministic sort of viewpoint. It's going to happen yeah. regardless. Well, we just both described that even though we had him, there was one moment, at least one moment, where even though we had him do different things, both of those things he resisted. Like you had him like bang his hand on the desk, but he resisted doing that. I told him to pour tea over his computer, and he chose not to do that. Although I think in my choice... No, I had. There was another time where I had him bang his hand on the desk, or where I had the option to have him do that. And then there was an, a time where instead of pouring tea on the computer, it just said like "destroy computer" yeah. instead of "pour tea on the computer." And I don't know. It's interesting because yeah, you. It was fascinating to me. You mentioned you had you tried to make him pull his earlobe. He resisted that too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's just funny to me that. In this concept, and obviously we on this show, we we deal with the material as material and then talk about what it makes us think of kind of uh, thematically or metaphysically, whatever, you know, spiritually, whatever you want to use there. And uh, to me, it, it really is a fascinating observation to think about the idea of how one choice that you make can determine a a different set of outcomes. Like right. you choose to do this one thing. And so I, I don't personally believe in a fully deterministic world. Sure. I, I believe that we have free choice and, and free will. And, and I do believe that there are pivot points that there are things, and this is getting into some like real heady theology real quick, but I believe that, that a, a divine intervention is possible to either influence or pivot or guide certain choices, but I think ultimately you still have the choice. You still have the the decision is at your disposal to right, right. go this way. That's that's getting into my personal beliefs. That's that I I believe that the free will option is never really overridden, but I do believe that there are influential factors in both directions. I spoke about the divine earlier. I believe there are. Uh, maliciously influential factors as well, and that y- you are just constantly. Now, that's one thing I would probably need to listen to the Krista Tippett interview, but that is one thing where I do believe there are um, perhaps you could call them unseen influences. NPR has a fascinating show called Invisibilia that oh. talks about that. That's like you know the the things you can't see that are directing and influencing right, your right, decisions. Right. You take that into a spiritual realm, and I believe in the spiritual element of it as well, that there are things that are pushing you one way or another way, and you still ultimately, in my belief, have the choice to go to the left, to the right, to slant this way, to slant that way, and that, uh, yeah, that ultimately you will make certain choices that may close off other choices you could have made, and you know there'll be sometimes where you step through doors that open up thousands of others. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's fascinating to think about to try to wrap your mind and head and heart around. Well, yes, and I'm going to tie two previous Fear of God episodes into this real quick. Last week we said with reference to Cam, you don't know what you don't know, and four weeks ago, I think at this point, we you, you're referencing Unseen Forces. I made the reference to 
Wilf in 1922, that there are things that mm. were yeah. influencing him that he was just, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. And he did, he lacked the competency, sure, and, and capacity to kind of recognize those influencing factors. And I, it's interesting. This is really, this may seem random, but tying some of this stuff together about determinism and, and the things that guide my wife yesterday. If you're new to the show, welcome. You'll hear Nathan's ongoing sort of malaise and or <laughs> ambivalence about turning 40 in 2019. But, <laughs> you know, attached to that is a lot of sort of identity aspects of vocation and work and all this sort of stuff. And, what are you doing? Which means if you're doing this, it means you're not doing that and blah, blah, blah. All right. um, well, right. she sent, she sent me this article yesterday from a person she heard on NPR and the whole piece, I haven't even finished it yet, but it's on workism, W R O K I S M. And basically this person is propping up the notion that we have sort of religi religious, religiousified man. I'm just making some stuff up here late at night, but like, <laughs> like, the the premise of the piece is we will have faith in a thing. Hmm. Much of millennial America and the shape of our current quote unquote gig economy, that faith has been in a work environment. Like we put our faith oh. because our because the generation before us, our parents' generation, work and work ethic and the nature of work was became such an intrinsic identifier and economic boon to a, a, a thriving capitalistic economy, right? Right. And right. so, what this person's are trying to articulate is a lot of people are a lot of people our age and younger are very depressed right now in their work because. Mm. Because the generation before us passed on this notion that identity can and maybe should be derived from your work. Now, oh, we, wow. we morphed that into purpose conversation, purpose mm -hmm. language, right? Like, um, do something you're passionate about. Do something you're purposeful for. In fact, the premise of the article is college-educated people are experiencing the most depression in their work. Oh, because wow. Because you've got lower income, non-college educated that work out of necessity. Like, mm. like you have to work because to not work means no lights on. Right, um, right. I, you know, folks like even you and I, like college educated people who, yes, have to work because bills have to get paid. But there's more privilege attached to that. There's more luxury mm. attached to that. You know what I mean? So it's this really fascinating thing. And where I, what I'm trying to get to is unseen forces that affect us right and so so reading through this article and it really kind of if i'm going to be honest the last sort of 48 hours for me personally i've been in a bit of that stupor a bit of that work-related malaise and like wilf buffeted by these unseen forces it's it's attached to my how am i identifying myself mm -hmm. right um, right. Stefan in the move in the in Bandersnatch identifies himself as just this guy who's a game designer and wants to be right. a game designer, having no clue 
the doors he's opening, the doors that are manipulating him uh, in his father and his right. ex- extraneous right. Dharma initiative level work. Um, in, <laughs> right. uh, in, in us, his manipulators. Mm-hmm. Um, and so reading this article today, I had this real, I mean, I, I, I sort of thank the Lord for this sort of intercession in my, and kind of my wokeness towards myself. Like I had this moment in reading this piece about the identity we attach to where of just waking up like it read it changed my spirit in the day mm. like i was i was in this funk i was in this like blah and you read i read this piece and i was like oh i am forgetting because i'm choosing to wrap an identity in because we are going to do it like you know yeah. scripture talks about serving two masters well in our parlance you can't have competing identities. Yeah, right. You know, you right. you are going to, in the course of a time, in the course of a day, be like, well, I am a salesperson. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. That's that's me. That's how I identify myself. And sales aren't great this day or this week or whatever. So I'm down and I'm feeling bad about myself. Right, right. And then you read a piece or you're reminded, wait a minute, this is not. Like work is not my faith. Work is not a religion to me. You know, belovedness of of spirit is a uh, uh, you know sonship of God is like these are identifiers that you know it's so we're so prone to forget. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I, I know that feels like I'm all over the place, but it's choose your own adventure, man. <laughs> choose your own adventure. Choose your own conversation. Okay, back off, Reed. Back oh, off. My gosh. No. Well, and it, it's. Uh... It's funny that you mention this. So the, the 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 thing that it makes me think of from a perspective, you referenced a couple of scriptures there. Uh, it makes me think of that like double mindedness. That's what I do. That's yeah, what I do. That's what you do. Um, but it makes me think of something that the scriptures don't ask me where they are. Well, no, of course not. <laughs> Who knows that? Um, but uh, you know, it, your your grandfather did. He did. He knew all of it. Like he knew, yeah, he, he knew. told that he told that Fanny joke like no one else could. Oh my gosh, you are like going deep cut. <laughs> I'm trying to like follow your rabbit trail, and then you're just like like pulling. Keep up, Reed. Your, Keep up. Keep up. I know who the, I am. Whoever's you know who whoever's controlling us is like make Nathan annoy Reed. Make Nathan annoy Reed. Oh, <laughs> annoying you. Sorry. Wow, you didn't follow the trail. You didn't laugh. You were just like oh, you just. <laughs> <laughs> anyway go where you're going no so so what i'm trying to say is that the the scriptural concept of being like double-minded but in in the scriptures double-mindedness um you are basically at the behest of wherever the the storm of life pushes you if it if it raises you up then you are very uh elated and you are uh joyful and if it crashes you down then you are in the depths of despair and about to sink and and all of this and and uh James chapter 1 and verse 8 just says that uh, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways um it's something that oh, it, this idea of like a a disconnect basically a subdivision of self and identity and it, it does get into I, I hate. I shouldn't say I hate the phrase because I, I kind of understand what they're what they're going for. I just have some difficulty when people use the word like when they use the phrase "find your identity in Christ." Um, right. 
I find it very difficult to have anybody be able to effectively articulate what they mean when they say that. And so it just, it, sure. it just, I, I just struggle with that choice of phrasing. It's not that I, you know, consider the phrasing unhelpful or anything. It's just, well, you need, you need well, some further definition, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it is unhelpful. it's a little, it's a little unhelpful. Um, but I think to me, the concept of like being double minded um, it definitely is something that I grasp onto a lot more. It's just if you are constantly split between what you think you should do and what you uh, want to do, if you're constantly split between uh, differing desires, you mentioned you know you can't serve two masters and and I do think that um, we have a tendency to navigate our life wanting to here's the funny thing that Bandersnatch also made me think about is, I don't know. I don't know if this is true for everybody. Uh, may not even be true for most people. But I know a lot of people in my circle of friends that struggle with just wanting to be told what's next. Just tell me. Right. Tell me what is next to do. Tell me the thing that I am supposed to do to meet said end, and I will do that thing. Tell me. You know. Just. Just basically, as much as we would want the idea of choice, or as much as we would want the idea of of free will. Um, we find uncertainty terribly scary and and right. don't and don't want necessarily to be left wide open with no structure and uh and I mean that's not true for everybody. There are plenty of people who um I won't call them anarchists, but they definitely lead into sort of the idea that that a lack of determinism an utter lack of determinism brings them comfort in most of my conversations with my friends and peers determinism provides structure which provides comfort and they almost seek it to a degree and I'm, I'm going somewhere with this and maybe this will be a button to to kind of wrap up the conversation um but i would also invite thoughts if you have them people will want to know in my circle of friends people will want to know please just tell me what the next thing i'm supposed to do is so then they will they will do that thing. They want kind of the recipe. They want the grid of it. But I think the better, greater, and what I think is authentically what happens in sort of the metaphysical and spiritual, supernatural realm of things is I believe the Lord, as I would uh, express what others might call just a deterministic force, I simply say, well, the Lord is the one that does it. What I believe the Lord does is I do believe that he sets before us choices and paths and opportunities, and I believe he wants to cultivate in us the sense of being able to follow and trust what is good and what is right and wants to develop those instincts in us and wants to develop that contrary nature in us that would actually go with what is good and right and pure rather than the tendency in which we most often lean, I think, which is to follow what is destructive and self-destructive and, uh, you know, follow selfish means to our own ends. And I think what happens is the choice is always there before us, but there are things that would love to cultivate in us a better, healthier choice and, and to start trying to uh, lean our lives into other decisions. To put to put it another way, because that feels very lofty the way that I'm describing it. To put it another way, it's really not just about one choice that you make that then pivots everything else down. Um, right. You cultivate a multitude of choices. You mm -hmm. cultivate certain decisions, and and what's what what I find beautiful about it is that 
you have choices that you could make tomorrow that could pivot tomorrow in different directions. And 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 so it's it's always to me about what are you you described on this show and I've adopted it in my personal life and in uh you know my leadership at my work and everything of doing the next right thing. Um mm-hmm. And I think that's really key, and I think that's really important, is that, yeah, there's a mountain of choices that brought you here, but there's also a, an ocean of choices ahead of you. And you, we, as much as we would want to just know, it's why there is a psychic industry and why people read horoscopes and all this kind of thing. They want to know. They want somebody to tell them what to do. And um, I think it is, it behooves us to get to a place where we can just continually choose with confidence and assurance the next right thing and just choose what is uh, and to cultivate those confident choices in us that this is the right moral thing to do, even if there are consequences that come on the heels of it, this is the right good thing to do and to continue to cultivate those choices in our lives. That's what I think you know, the divine and what the Lord is leading people towards and what he's trying to get them to accomplish. It's fascinating you bring that up, and, and at risk of opening wide a door here that needs to start closing. Um, you aren't stating this, but I, I'm I'm going to pull on a thread here. You know, we want to be told what to do. Um, lofty versus practical. Man, I was listening today. Uh, you know, the, my you you mentioned. Um, uh, American Hysteria um, yeah, yeah. podcast I listen to, or did you? <laughs> um, <laughs> podcasts I listen to that aren't us uh, that I reference often here is Chris Hayes, but also the Bible for Normal People. Well, they just relaunched uh, their their own kind of new season, and there was a gentleman on there today, a guy named Xavier Pickett, and he's an NYU professor. Um, he's got a really interesting faith story. Well. He's an African American guy, M. Reed. He, like, I would encourage anyone to listen to it, but especially you as my friend and just like the conversations we tend to have. But he's talking about sort of the African American faith experience in this country, and and he he makes this really interesting, kind of scary parallel, and he talks about what is theological versus what is moral. And in his, one of his classes he's teaching, he identifies how timeline wise, the, the uh, scopes monkey trial story, oh, right? Yeah, Supreme, yeah. Supreme, Supreme court evolution is raging in the Supreme court. This is a theological conversation, right? Right. Right. Like, did we descend from apes or were we, you know, Adam and Eve, fully human, whatever. He says at the same time, chronologically is when lynching was at its peak mm. in, in the, in the American South. And he, he roots that in spiritual, like the, the language of the church, like this, this was enacted, you know, uh, this, these were, he tells the story, like you'd go to church and your church, you'd go lynch someone. Like this, this was part oh of the fabric gosh. of the Southern experience. And the point he's trying to make was the disconnect between the theological and the moral. Mm. Like, and and maybe this seems really far afield of where you were at, but it felt like you were touching on this of like, 
determinism, the, 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 the actions we put our hands to and the conscientiousness of them. Like, well, just tell me what to do. Okay, well, after church, we're going to go do this. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, we're not descended from monkeys. Like, connect the point here. Mm-hmm. Connect the two mm-hmm. here, which is to say your theology has to affect your morality. Your, yes. your, uh, you aren't, you aren't a, a, now maybe this is me getting preachy. You, you, it is not all deterministic. You, you are a participant. You, you, you set your hands to a life that gets shaped to a, a heaven that gets birthed or a hell that gets wrought. Right. 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 And, and there are plenty of Christians who have wrought hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's yes. be honest. Oh yeah, you know, and and which it's, is it's, which is biblical, yeah. by the way, because that is actually something that that, and I don't have the scripture pulled up for me, but that's something that Christ Himself said to the Pharisees. He said, "You'll go out, find a disciple, and make him an even worse agent of hell than you are." He said that to the Pharisees, and that's a condition sure. that still exists today. Um, I apologize for cutting you off, but I was just no, like, no, 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 that that is an actual uh, not not that this is a rare occasion, but it's like, yeah, what you just described is not only true. That was spoken and identified by Christ Himself to some of the religious elite at the time, and said that, yeah, you you are in you are going out making disciples after yourselves and making them agents of hell. Well, it's funny, and goodness gracious, I, I it was not my intention to ramp us into this, but like, we, there's a world where much of evangelical Christendom may espouse a non-deterministic sort of viewpoint. Oh, no, no, free will, free will, free will. Mm. But I'll be doggone if we don't, if we don't behave in mass as though it is already predetermined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Apocalypse is coming. Armageddon is coming. Just uh, let me just sit back and not worry about me um, because I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I am washed and covered in the blood brother uh the gays and the muslims not really but i don't have to worry about them because they're gays and they're muslims and uh i don't have to do anything though Mm. my my theological and my moral are disconnected Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. theologically i'm thinking oh cool armageddon's coming but i'm good uh we we crave that rapturous tim lahay version of things meanwhile ignoring that it's what this guy on this podcast is talking about. Like you're, you're, you're arguing whether we descended from, you know, apes or Adam and you're murdering people. Right, 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 right. Well, you know, like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't, but I'm trying desperately trying to connect this to the film, which is, are we, is, is the, is the outcome of American Christian religion determined? Mm. You know, Right or are we and and damn man yes you are the hands and feet you embody this in your day to day you embody it and if you don't are you a Christian that's a great question because the embodying is the connection point of the theological and the moral right mm-hmm. I mean and I know this seems super far afield but Bandersnatch is about are we in control of our actions? Because if we aren't, then screw it. Mm. Right. If we if we are, I want to make sure there's as many people aware of their their belovedness as I can, mm-hmm. and not just resign them to the pit, the, the sheol, 
the Hades, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, well, I don't know. No, I from, but I understand. Well, and and maybe you could sum up uh, Bandersnatch and this the the heartbeat of this conversation to life is not a game. Like it's it's not something that. Uh, like you're you're scratching it so much about the connecting the theological. And Sorry, the, no, you don't have to apologize. <laughs> but like connecting the theological and the moral, like understanding that I was having a conversation, uh, a rather uh, civil and and intellectual debate uh, regarding certain theological points, and I wouldn't I wouldn't say we were wrestling with a moral issue, but it was definitely sort of a debate about theology in the degree that well no this is what it says so that means it doesn't really matter who is subverted and detrimented because this is what it says and so there there were uh without getting into the specifics of the conversation there it was a debate about uh authority agency and position that certain people groups have within certain contexts and uh it was again it was a theological debate and uh, some people in the position were basically that, yes, this is what the text says, and I translate it as such. And a couple of us in the conversation, I was in this camp, so I can speak to it a little bit more uh, fluidly. Um, some of us in the camp were like, okay, I recognize that, but there are principles at work beneath what that text says that can't right. be ignored. And right. so there are other places in which you know, there are other precedents throughout Scripture that would seem to be an opponent of what you are very rigidly articulating here. And again, the conversation was a, a civil debate. But um, something that I believe is you're talking about this determinism, and it just is rattling around so much when you say, like, the theological and the moral, and we want to be told what to do, that, like, yeah, how many things that utterly devastate the heart of God have been done in his name? And right. and and how much have we pushed forward that that would that would make him weep and that he would. But here, here's the other thing is that he at least to this point, there is no in, in my understanding of it, um, there is no concept of justice and accountability if we don't have that will and that agency. But we always I, I feel I shouldn't say always. We conveniently want to chalk up our sort of positions that don't hold up morally or logically to basically, well, this is what it says. That's what right. we, that, that's what I we mean, tend to fall back it, on. Yeah, I, there's a person in our in our very close circle that uh, is an elder uh, person, so I'm sensitive to that, but loves to espouse gibberish like man, that sounds so cruel but uh well well i believe this or, or you know i i go to this church because they just preach the bible mm. and i want to say to this person like like you said an hour ago my identity is in christ but what does that mean you what do you even mean like that does not that no yeah I'm sorry right like the um i don't mean this to sound hyper relativistic i really don't mean it this way but Everybody poops. Everybody interprets. This is this, you. You just saying. Well, I just go here because they preach the Bible. Okay. Well, <laughs> right. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in there, man. Like, mm -hmm. what do you what do you what do you mean? 
because yeah, because right. you're gonna have a lens you're gonna mm. you're gonna have an identifier you're gonna have a means by which you thread this needle right and right. you know just saying well that's what the bible says yeah you know, there's okay. a similar yeah there's a similar phrase that i balk at uh, almost equally that when people say the bible is clear i'm like no it's no it's never man it's it, never. no and 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 that's so we're talking about choice and determinism and these all these you know very simple subjects on this conversation <laughs> that we keep trying to wind down, and and really what it what it comes to as I see it is that yes you can view your world as a sequence of choices that you are in control of, and that's terrifying to some people. Because if they're in control of their choices, then they're accountable to those choices. And that's actually right. what I believe, by the way, is that sure. we are accountable to, to the choices that we have made. Um, and I believe that, that when the final judgment comes down, whatever it looks like and whenever it takes place, I believe that the wise and righteous judge um, will not sacrifice justice for the sake of mercy, but I also believe the reverse is true too, that he won't sacrifice mercy for the sake of justice. Somehow he will, in his creative and inventive way, uh, find that that mutual point at which both needs are satisfied. And for me, I think that what, what it falls to us to do is it falls to us to recognize the power of our choices and recognize that they are choices that we are that we can make i i get so irate when people will um do devastating things and say devastating things um and then uh simply sort of wash their hands like pilot before christ and say like well this is not my responsibility this is this is somebody else did this thing and i'm just a part of it i think the really hard work the really difficult task ahead of us is to somehow allow the mystery of walking by faith and walking in faith to continue to shape our day-to-day choices and continue to allow ourselves to be pliable and to continue to allow ourselves to be open to understanding and recognizing where the Lord is taking things next. And um, again, that's, that's my view of how to articulate all of these things. I, you know, if the Lord wants to take it to a computer that says it's watching us on Netflix and telling us, you know, all this stuff, then they can do it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> on that note, to the fog meter! <laughs> exactly. Do you like how I did that? Do you like how I was like, we need to wind this down? I like down, how so most can... listeners that are still in, they're like, dang, these guys are just like, we were town. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Well, I mean, Choose your own adventure. Slight, right. In our slight defense here, there's this, this little piece of media is chock full of giant oh. ideas it's playing with. It's tough to wrestle down. No, it absolutely um, is. So yeah, to the fog meter, we are going to rank Bandersnatch uh, by two uh, objective categories, at least obje- as objective as we can be. Um, but hey, there, we, everybody poops, everybody interprets, everybody's, <laughs> everybody's subjective. So we're going to attempt to be objective here on two main categories, fear uh, and or is it scary or not? And then God, is it substantive? Like, what well, is there substance happening here? Um, read on the on the fear factor. What? How would you sort of identify Bandersnatch? Um, this this is barely scary at all. It is also barely disturbing. It's endlessly fascinating. But on fear, I'm gonna give it a two. Um, I think that 
I'm going to go a hair higher than you and go three, if only because I think the experience of mm, mm, being the sort of performative agent, the guiding agent of this piece of media was a bit rattling. It, Stressful. Was, it was wild. <laughs> to, yeah, yeah, it was. Because I was like, right. no, I don't want you to do things that are going to harm you or someone else. Right. No, stop right, it. Right, right. No, <laughs> just let me pick the music you're going to listen to again and your cereal. I know, let me pick your um, sugar pups. Right, right, right. Um, as far as the uh, substance factor, um, I, I actually think it's pretty thin on narrative, as mentioned, but really high on sort of idea. So I'm, I'm going to go six. I think it's got a lot. It's sort of, it's at least giving lip service to and or diving mildly deep on in terms of big ideas. Um, I think for me, for the God meter, the substance meter, it's it's going to be kind of right there with you. Um, I'm going to give it a seven. Uh, for for kind of substance meter because I agree narrative wise it's a little thin but it is very interested in in some big ideas and I think it executes those both in concept and through the course of the narrative in an effective way so um, but now getting to the the other question at hand would you Mr. Nathan Rouse recommend Black Mirror Bandersnatch um absolutely I think I think that I don't know that I would go revisit it personally, but it's absolutely a thing. Like if you like any Black Mirror, if you like any of the stuff we typically talk about, um, the experience of playing Bandersnatch yeah, yeah. is 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 a wild one. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, for me, this is a really easy, strong recommend. Um, unless the concept of constantly making choices while you're watching a film is stressful to you automatically. This is a really easy recommend. You've you've just got to experience this, even if you give up halfway through because you're frustrated. And turn, like you've just got to see, uh, Netflix has done a really phenomenal thing here. It's it's endlessly fascinating, um, and uh, yeah, you've you've just simply got to check it out. So what that does is uh, that brings us to our fog meter for Bandersnatch, which may seem a little low at first, but remember we both recommended it is a four and a half out of ten. Um, but that's just simply because it's not terribly scary that you know the fear factor drove it down quite a bit but four and a half out of ten so that concludes i'm going to wrap this up pretty quickly that concludes not only this conversation about black mirror bandersnatch but also our full series on hashtag netflix and chills nathan this has been very been very exciting very exciting great so uh tune in next week as uh as we've already talked about nathan mentioned we're going to be starting a new series called hashtag Flannel Graph Flanagan, and we are going to be diving right into that with um, a corresponding series that we haven't touched on since 1922, which was a long time ago. Many, many years, as a matter of fact. Almost 100 years ago. So, wow. but, um, but we are going to be tagging in also on the series Hashtag 19, because next week we want you to check out Gerald's Game, the adaptation of Stephen King's novel, um, also on Netflix, coincidentally, um, directed by Mike Flanagan to launch our hashtag Flannel Graph Flanagan series. So, Nathan, thank you so much for being willing Great. to watch however much Snatch you watched. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, all uh, of it. And so, I chose all the adventures. <laughs> and uh, we will see you next week, guys. See you later, guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but 
not the end of the conversation. You can continue this conversation in a variety of ways on Twitter at the fear of God on Instagram at fear of God podcast. You can like or follow us on Facebook or join the fear of God Facebook discussion group. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey and Nathan at the Nathan Rouse. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com or visit morethanonelesson.com to comment on the official episode posts. And lastly, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.